Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to another episode of the Black Sheep Podcast. For those who wonder, uh, the song you heard in the intro and will hear once again in the outro is by a very famous, very, very famous Christian band called Striper. And the song is called To Hell with the Devil. And it's off of the 1986 album To Hell with the Devil. Right, Cullen? That is correct. Uh, You know what? I was just looking this up on Wikipedia as well. And it said in 2010... HM Magazine listed To Hell with the Devil as the number three top 100 Christian rock albums of all time. It made, we sure did. Made the top five on the list. We uh, sure did. We get a real quick note on that before you introduce me. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the, we, you know, I take a look at our Google Analytics every once in a while, and that we have a, if you ever Google like top Christian albums of all time or whatever, that, post is still easily our number one hit via contact people just love that yeah yeah we were listicle before listicle was a thing (laughs) (laughs) people love lists i mean like that's what uh um uh what's the uh super rolling stone has made a living off of like their top 500 lists oh yeah yeah that's what 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 most online companies do these days it's a way to do it list anything and people will, will read it now so that strange disembodied voice uh, that you hear uh, and the reason why we played uh, To Hell with the Devil with uh, Striper is that disembodied voice is none other than David Stagg. And David is, I don't even know exactly what your official title with HM would be, lead editor or owner, maybe all of those things. But uh, anyway, we got David here. And, and Hacho uh, Kimasabi, right? <laughs> what, what would you say your official title of uh, with, with uh, HM is? Owner and editor is the shortest and most distinct way to put it. Love it. Love it. Uh, so I know you wanted to talk a little bit about why Striper, because you picked this one, uh, why Striper's To Hell with the Devil uh, and how that uh, somehow relates to HM. Yeah. So um, before we got into this, you had said, you know, hey, we always lead with a song. What song would you like to choose? And I said, well, if we're doing this thing on HM one of the best ways to describe HM's history and HM's genesis is through Striper. 
So the guy that actually started HM is a man named Doug Van Pelt. And Doug Van Pelt is a pretty good friend of mine still. Uh, just saw him last weekend, traveled into Austin. I'm from Houston, traveled into Austin to see him. We actually did some HM work. We, um, I still have a whole bunch of old print magazines that uh, <laughs> HM had, and I was giving them back to him to take off. He has a ranch here in Austin, and uh, he wanted to have those for posterity. So I brought them over and gave them to him. Um, he just wanted to start a Christian-based metal magazine. Back then it was called Heaven's Metal, hence the HM. Um, it's called Heaven's Metal, and it was a typical ragzine. It was printed on eight and a half by eleven, basically handwritten out stories with, you know, wow. cut out photos that were just. He literally xeroxed them, and I'm sure he xeroxed them at his work computer, spending precious dollars on this um, demonic stuff that he was trying to put out into the world. Uh, and one of the reasons that I loved Doug is he's always been um, a damn the man kind of guy, fist in the air. Uh, you know, a little bit of an anarchist heart. And when he started HM, Striper was one of the first major bands that also kind of embraced that from the metal perspective, where they got a little bit of crossover popularity from the Christian world, but also in the popular world, because they were actually good at 80s hair metal. And with Striper, when they released something called To Hell with the Devil in 1986, it was it was heresy to say the word hell. You know, you couldn't say mm. go to hell or um, what the hell. You know, it was like just unheard of for a Christian to even mutter those words. So when Striper started to push the boundaries and um, kind of expand the human mind and the palate for something that's like not just metal, but also something uh, that, you know, naming their album to hell with the devil where if you even think about what the words are saying, it's like, yeah, that's kind of what Christians are kind of embracing anyway, is putting the devil in hell. So um, it's just, it's just, I, I love the mentality of it. And I love that that kind of, that kind of approach to music is kind of the approach that Doug took towards uh, the magazine. And nobody was doing it at the time. Alternative Press also started in 1985. So he and, um, you know, Alternative Press was kind of doing the alt-rock metal scene but he really doubled down on that uh christian heavy music and over time it morphed into hard music and morphed into hm uh just short and sweet now so that's the reason that i thought stripe would be striper would be a pretty appropriate uh band to play at the top of this uh at the top of this podcast yeah i would say it's a perfect perfect intro song truly and one of the things that i i, th I think also in addition to all of the like uh, kind of edginess that Striper was doing at that time. Like, not only was HM trying to cover that, but like it seems like, based on what you're telling me about Doug, is he had he was trying to build that in with HM too. Like they were, HM was trying to be sort of that alternative to the Christian music world and trying to sort of be the, the edgy one, uh, within that world. Would you say that that like was possibly an intention of Doug early on? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it even existed. I mean. The, the, the music that music was being made whether it was public or not um it's not like uh, people didn't want to listen to heavy music that weren't christians you know they were just doing it in a very secretive way no doubt i mean i, I wasn't alive i was born in 1983 so uh i mean okay technically i was alive but i wasn't <laughs> rocking striper in my crib and i know that my parents weren't 
because um, they were very fundamentalist when I was growing up too. So I know what that I know what that life is like. And if I had ever uttered the words hell in my house when I was a kid, it would have been curtains. So um, I understand uh, I understand what it means to listen to that type of music or uh, try to write that type of music when um, you know it's definitely not acceptable from a public perspective. Um, I want to ask you two a question. If at the beginning of this you said um, you know, we asked you asked me what song I thought would be best to start this podcast off of, considering we're talking about HM. What what song would you guys have picked for HM mm. to start this podcast off? Because I know that the two of you are, um, you know, what Black Sheep does and what HM does are uh, very similar. And uh, spoiler alert, um, we may have some more to talk about that in the very near future. We will. But, um, since you guys have that same mentality and same approach to life as well, I'm curious what you guys think would be the appropriate song to start this Ooh. off with for us. Colin, I want you to go first. I don't know if I have like an idea yet. I would say, okay, so the very first time I ever heard of HM, I was at a Christian music festival when I was very young. I don't know, probably 13, 14. This Life Light? Uh, yeah, it was Life Light. And a band called Disciple was playing. Sure. Uh, at that time, you know, the, the hardest thing I'd ever heard was Skillet. And I was like, that's pretty hard. That's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but then Disciple came on. And you know, nowadays, you know, Disciple's not that, not that heavy of a band. But at that time, it was the thing that was like all of a sudden, like, it, it set the new bar for me. And so I always uh, put... Um, disciple or and that that new heavy music that i just heard now for the first time alongside of hm magazine and so for me uh it, it would kind of be that uh that uh soft uh, aggression towards my parents um <laughs> and, and, and and like the feeling that i get for for like rebelling but also not rebelling in a way that they can really be that angry at me um so I, I would have to say probably some sort of disciple song, but I don't know if I could like pick one out right off the top of my head. Sure. So with, with that kind of as the context of what probably what song I should probably pick then. Um, and now given like knowing kind of the, the history of, of, or at least the origin of HM and it me, it, it, it attempting to sort of be this like trendsetter of, alternative music where whereas you know like the parents and like the older generation would have been uh uh floored by something like this and you have like a younger generation who's trying to sort of like but this is still christian that kind of thing so with that said my song that fits that story or that narrative is reinventing your exit by under oath oh yeah um, that's a good one yeah i still remember watching the music video for that back in 2004 uh, and I would have been like 10 or 11 at the time. And I would come home from, from school uh, and watch, I forget what, the, it was Steel Roots. Do you remember Steel Roots? Love Steel Roots. Steel Roots. Uh, and they had like a top 10 music video countdown. And they had Reinventing Your Exit on. And I remember like first hearing it and being a little like surprised and a little uh, thrown off by it. But something about it really intrigued me. And I remember, though, like, OK, here they're a Christian band or whatever. So I, I knew that, like, all the boxes had been checked off 
in terms of what I was allowed to listen to. But because it had screaming in it, I was still really hesitant about being open to my parents about the fact that I was listening to this. And I still remember there was one day where uh, in our computer was like right in our like kitchen area and my mom was in the kitchen or something and I was listening to Under Oath in my headphones. But somehow like the headphones got unplugged and all of a sudden like reinventing your exits like blaring through the speakers. And my mom is like, what is this? And I knew that so you would threw be the her. heroin needle out of your arm. Yep. <laughs> and I knew I knew that uh, I, I had to, like, be really wise about this because I knew that this would be her reaction. And I basically like, OK, mom, I swear they're a Christian band. Like, they're all Christians. They talk about Jesus. And and I, like, had to, like, show her online about, like, how they were actually Christians, whatever. And she was like, OK, well, as long as they're Christians. Um, but anyway, that like narrative of listening to something that was really alternative to the CCM world that my mom had grown up with and was listening to something that was alternative to that. Exactly. (laughs) Something that was alternative to that, but, uh, at the same time was still very explicitly Christian. And, um, and so that was that song for me. And so I think if I had to pick a song for HM, uh, even though it comes, you know, basically almost 20 years after HM started, that would be my, my HM song. Yeah. So there are, um, a couple others went through my head when we, uh, when you asked me the question, so POD would be a big one. So oh, I yeah. think, uh, under oath, like pretty much, um, they, I mean, however you define Christian band or whatever, uh, under oath was one of the most massive crossover artists from the, um, you know, the Christian world to the pop world for to, to kind of dumb it down. But POD was one of the bands that Doug had got on way, way early, um, well before Southtown came out and well before they put up Boom and Satellite. Um, but they they actually went on to have a platinum record or a gold record, one of two, I can't remember which. And they actually gave Doug a copy of a platinum record or a gold record or whatever and it still hangs in his office because he was instrumental in helping them get off the ground and they went on to extreme success. So POD sticks out in my brain. Um, Alice Cooper also sticks out in my brain because um, Alice Cooper is a believer and he kind of outed himself in a cover story in HM in the 80s or um, early 90s. And that was one of, at the time, Doug's uh, best selling uh, print issues um, that they had ever put out. So um, it was kind of one of those just monumental moments in the course of uh, you know, a big star's history to say, you know, mm-hmm. well, I'm actually a believer. I'm not satanic or whatever it is I say I am. And this is fun. And I like the music and it's kind of, it's quasi entertainment, things like that. But uh, so Alice Cooper is another one that kind of comes to mind when I think about the history of HM. Have you guys ever seen the movie SLC Punk? No, no. I don't know. I, okay. I've never even heard of it. So Matthew Lillard stars in a movie called SLC Punk. And the whole thing is about this anarchist that kind of grows up in Salt Lake City, which obviously is a hotbed for religious activity. Um, And one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from that movie. It's Matthew Lillard. uh, He's kind of breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience a lot in that. And he talks about that in a country of lost souls, rebellion comes hard. But in a religiously oppressive city where half its population isn't even of that religion, it comes like fire. And I feel like a lot of Doug's approach to HM is embraced in that quote. And I feel like a lot of us who experienced that at the time, you know, you're kind of underground, you're kind of doing something a little dirty. It's not like drugs. It's not like you're, um, you know, doing 
like gambling or doing some petty theft or whatever. It, it felt a little weird to be listening to metal music that was Christian based, you know, and um, it felt like that rebellion came a little like fire for those of us, you know, and it, it's weird. You want to talk about a, a like a civil, a miniature civil war of the, uh, you know, the, the Christian proletariat against these Christians who are just kind of coming coming forward with this, you know, new approach to what uh, yeah. faith actually meant. And I think Doug and his approach in 85 was like so far ahead of the game when it came to that, you know, because in the 90s, that Christian fundamentalism really, really hit hard. And when that hit hard and, you know, the, the devil was rampant in American souls and our children and we're all going to die. Uh, if we let this continue on and let these kids grow up, um, the, you know, the country's going to fall to pieces. Uh, he had been fighting that battle for 10 years, you know, so um, uh, I think of what Doug did is, is more like that. And it seems so ridiculous to to say now and seems so ridiculous to think about that that was like a big concern or an issue. But progress usually wins. And in this case, it definitely did. Certainly. So. Yeah, I, rem- I remember the, the late 80s, early 90s was like the day of the televangelist just having his heyday. And it was all fire brimstone and it was, um, it was, it was just too much message all the time. Uh, and I, I could see how, how HM would come in and kind of fill that, that, um, stinging void that, uh, was left in a lot of young people's hearts because it's, there's no way to like be free, right? I mean, you're stuck within this, this fundamentalist realm, uh, so for that, I'm I'm extremely thankful for outlets like HM uh, and, and people like Doug and that that somewhat anarchist uh, uh, mentality of of life. I mean that's why we're that's why we're the black sheep, uh, and I think that's why this this all connects. I think that's why this uh, 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 you and I and Mason uh, us together like we have that mentality. We have that shared experience growing up. That uh, that all kind of falls in line with that, and and obviously not all stories are going to be the same, but um, it, it is there. That mentality is there. So how do you think? Um, how do you think HM is uh, is taking on that same mentality today? One of the things that I started to with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase do when I took over and started to be more of an editor and start to assign stories and figure out how I wanted to approach HM in a digital age was I, I just, I really wanted to talk to everyone. 
um, I, I thought I, I had there's there's a little bit of a scientist in me in that I just always want more information. I just love information. I, you know, I, I don't think a scientist would ever say, you know what, I'm not so sure I need more information to make this decision. <laughs> I'd like to keep this limited data set so I can make and double down on this decision that I've made. You know, I, every single one of them would be like, yeah, give me more, give me more, give me more. So, you know, I love to read. I love to explore. I, I tell people my life motto is basically, I aim to live a life of learning. I always want to be curious. And the more I can explore and mine other people and thoughts and approaches and science and physics, and the more I can learn about life around us, the more fun I personally have and the more fun I think it is to challenge my own morals and ethos and approach to life. So I really, that's, that's a, that is truth, but I think anybody that is uh, would argue against me could easily say, yeah, well, you stopped interviewing just Christian people. You started interviewing other people. That's a money play. And there's an element of truth to that. So when we first, when I first, I'll explain. Uh, when we first started, one of my favorite interviews to this day is with a guy named Eric Danielson, who fronts a band called Watain. And Watain is a Norwegian black metal band. They do not believe in God. They believe in the void. And Eric is like the figurehead for this. Um, you know, we sacrifice pigs on stage during our um, during our live shows, stuff like that. Well, you know, we don't need to cover that. We could go back and cover Disciple, of course, or, you know, any other like metal band that's come out, uh, which we do and will. Uh, and I love doing. But I never thought that the putting blinders on like a horse that just got surgery was a good idea for an approach to life. So. In order to double down on what Doug had done, part of my thought was, well, we just need to talk to these people about their lives and leave it at the feet of the reader or the listener to make their own decision on what it means to them and what they can do with that information. The critics say and have said, you know, well, you're not a Christian magazine anymore. You're a sellout. You're this, that and the other. And sure, you can say that. I got no problem with you people saying that. I mean, I love you all the same. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and if you don't want to read it, that's fine. I, I, have, I have no problem with you not reading it. If that's not what you're looking for in a magazine, then HM isn't for you anymore. Um, but, but the way that I personally believe is I would much rather get more information and talk to those people about spirituality, about faith, about where their heart lands and why they approach music the way they approach music and why they approach life the way that they approach life. Because whatever happened in their life, whether you're a believer or a Christian or a fundamentalist Christian or a Catholic or any type of Protestant, any type of sect of Christianity you want to believe, you know, those people have a reason that they're not that too. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. it's like, I, I'm curious, like, why, why not? You know, like what gave you, you know, what happened in your life and in your experience that made you feel like Christianity wasn't for you? I think what is, is sometimes just as interesting as what isn't. Mm -hmm. So when you ask the question, like, how do I feel like we're, um, we're taking that to a new level when I've taken over from Doug, you know, my belief is still, you know, damn the man, let's go talk to these people about everything. Let's <laughs> yeah. go figure out why they believe what they believe and let's let's mine that for information
is there kind of that mentality that that we can we can accept uh, uh, um, different perspectives, or is it kind of more like this polarized thing that we that we tend to see in pop culture, where if it's not my way, it's the highway? Um, yeah. Yeah, think? I mean, there's a all right. There's a little bit of a old man get off my lawn in that question for me. So um, I don't know too much about modern faith. So if you're if you approached me and you were to ask me about what younger people believe these days, my answer would probably be the Internet. So <laughs> I, I don't know what their approach to faith would be. So my answer to that question in order to learn a little more about it myself would be to turn it to Mason, who is studying theology in our modern times, and ask you, Mason, like, how do you think youth approach faith today, specifically specifically in regards to Christianity? Because it, I, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to fact check real quick from, from our boy Mason. So um, it, it's the, is it more polarizing? Absolutely. It feels like the world is more polarized than ever. It feels like there is no room for the gray. If you amend your decision as if that's a bad thing, or if you change the way that you approach your thought, that that to me is intelligence. It is not stupidity. And I think a lot of the internet would have that be stupid. Oh, you, you well, you let last week you said it was this, and then this week you're saying it's that. Well, you're just done. Like you don't even know what you believe. And it's like actually, I thought really, really hard about it, and I tried to figure out what I was doing wrong or if I was doing wrong, and refined my approach to it and changed the way that I felt about it. So um, I think there's a little bit of two questions in your question. The first being, um, is it more polarizing now? And uh, yes, I think the answer is yes. But the other part of that question was about modern faith. And if they see themselves as, you know, distancing themselves from a faith of old or uh, a different, uh, different, less rigorous approach to um, modern faith. And that answer, I don't know, but I am curious about. So Mason, how do you see the youth of, let, let's just keep it to America, um, the youth of um, the American youth approaching uh, the Christian faith today? I think uh, for those who are Christian, um, it's not like a general populace, but for those who, for those youth that are Christian, I think they're, at least in my experience and from what I've, I've read in a lot of um, research is that uh, there the polarization uh, of America uh, actually is certainly a hindrance to their faith. They they sort of see through that and find a lot of issue with it, um, and therefore may leave the faith or may leave their particular church. Um, in addition to that, w- with that said, there also is a desire among young people in Christianity for their their uh, churches and their Christian communities to be very explicit about what they do believe. Um, uh, 
certainly allowing a lot of room for doubt and questioning, but to actually have some sort of explicitness about their their beliefs. In addition to that, and it, this this sort of actually transcends both like more progressive Christian communities and even more conservative Christian communities. But a lot of young people want to have a vibrant faith that actually is lived out in some particular way. So obviously for more progressive communities, that might mean like through social justice issues. And then for more conservative communities, that might um, be in their particular issues that they um, are passionate about. Um, But nonetheless, there's a faith that's lived out. Um, And so I think those are like three things that I have researched and I've certainly noticed in my own experience of working with young people in Christianity. So the first one you said, leave the faith or leave their particular church. And to me, those are very, very, very different things. Mm-hmm. Did you really mean leave the faith? Like I, I, I no longer believe the codified uh, ethics of Christianity or do I no longer believe what this particular church that I am attending believes and need to seek it elsewhere? Yeah, it sort of depends. I mean, for some people who have um, been ostracized, so for some young people who were in Christianity who have been ostracized enough or have been fed up or frustrated with it enough with the polarization, then they will leave alt, like altogether. They'll leave Christianity altogether. For some, it might mean just switching one church to the next or leaving their particular church. Um, so it could be both. It seems weird to me that they would just walk because of. So to me, faith was always a personal thing, and there was no church that could change that. So it's weird to me when people would walk from the faith because of the way that people acted. Um, it, I, I understand not wanting to be called a certain thing. In fact, I've spoken with many Christians who are like, no, please don't call me a Christian because it carries such a negative connotation, which, yeah, I get it. Um, but to just say, you know what, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God who came to earth and was resurrected three days and was the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice for us, you know, like that shouldn't change from church to church, which leads me to my next question. The second thing you said was they leave a church to go to another church where what they have codified and put, for lack of a better term, put on their walls or put in their constitution, uh, you know, that they more closely align with. What what are the big differences between these? Like, if I go from church A to church B because I don't agree with what church A is doing, it seems like what what is the, like almost every single church that I've ever been to, all of them are relatively the same. So I'm wondering what the youth would see that would be like, oh no, that you know, this is enough to make me leave church A. So I'm going to church B where it says this and it's so explicit that like it resonates so much more with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I I mean, being somebody who has been like very deeply involved in the diversity of all Christianity. um, I mean, certainly if uh, let's say a person was raised within like a mega church where they're essentially Mm -hmm. going to what looks like almost like a Coldplay concert every Sunday and have a big Ted talk, that is vastly different than if they go to like a liberal um, Episcopalian mass on a Sunday. I mean, it just, it like, it almost is, it almost, if you were like a person that was not familiar whatsoever with Christianity, if you went to one of those and then w- the next week went to a different one, you would, the, a lot of, I think a lot of people would just be like, this is the same religion. Are you kidding me? Like it looks completely, it's practiced completely differently. Uh, to bring us full circle, I think that this is like a perfect example of how 
the diversity of thought, especially within within the Christian realm, uh, and, and even within the Christian uh, alternative Christian culture um, that I would say of the three of us are in, um, it, it, it's proving that there needs to be um, outlets to kind of express amongst that full spectrum, right? Um, and and I think that by HM moving more in towards, uh, or sorry, more in realms that aren't necessarily exclusively Christian, it, it's it's allowing this this conversation to be had, um, because the the lived experiences of people who aren't quote unquote believers is just as important as the experience of believers, and without that uh, exposure to those other beliefs, a lot of Christians end up in the echo chamber and they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't. You know, grow. They don't become better human beings. They become uh, a more annoying Christians, in my opinion. There's <laughs> <laughs> a few of those. So I, I have to commend you for for, for working towards that uh, at HM as well. Well, I, I don't know that I need any kind of commendation. I mean, I, I <laughs> it's it's one of the things that I just personally like. If you can't have the free flow of ideas or the free flow of thoughts, um, I think that's dangerous. Um, but I mean, you could argue against that too. I mean, look at QAnon these days. You know, it's like yeah. you give people the the free flow of ideas, and then the dumb people will listen, and <laughs> then you're stuck in a completely different situation. I'm just thankful I don't have to deal with any of that. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not a politician by any means. I don't have to. Uh, litigate any of the outcomes of this so I, i'm just very blessed that i can just um, have these types of conversations in a place where i don't feel like my uh, life is on the line um, but more from an ethical perspective i think it's way more interesting to have these types of conversations and challenge my own thought and i think that can be really hard for some people and that's fine i think that's perfectly fine some people don't want to be challenged in that way some people and i'm not saying that in a negative way i'm i'm trying to be as objective as possible as that you know some for some people it's not it's not easy to think about the fact that we may be able to upload our consciousness one day or that technology is god you know like those types of things are scary to some people those things were scary to me too at one point and that's not it's, that fear is a bad thing. Fear can be a very positive and motivating factor in a lot of people's lives. So um, it's not like uh, I'm trying to be uh, to to cast any kind of shade or dissonance right. on those people and their opinions. But um, for me personally, I just want to know as much as I can possibly know and be as not ignorant as I can possibly be, and just uh, constantly be in a state of becoming, as one Mason would say. We well, I, let's let's kind of. Uh... Let's uh, kind of tease that out a little bit more, um, especially as it relates to HM, like because you value like learning and um, trying to explore so much more of life constantly. What is something that you've learned now being the lead person of HM? What's something that you have been able to explore? Something I've learned from like um, a business and magazine and the what we do perspective or something that I've learned as a human, like part of my core existence. Yes. Existential. Perfect. It's probably right. important. So I, I never experienced uh, blind hate until I started to run HM. So... Um, which, which, by the way, bring it on. Like, I, I am not <laughs> I'm not afraid of you people behind your keyboards and not like that's any kind of like I'm not some kind of big buff dude or whatever. But like, 
I don't know, dude. You look pretty buff. <laughs> no, I just lost a ton of weight. Uh, I, so I, but like, as, as a white male, as um, somebody that was born into a lower middle class, um, I understand that you know there are a lot there are a lot of things in my life that I just never had to experience when I was growing up, and that whether I did or did not, I understand that my experience in life vastly differs from that of other people that have experienced life, whether it, it's women, whether it's people of color, whether it's transgender people, whatever you are, I love you. And I don't, I don't have that experience. Okay. So when I started to run HM and we started to post more, uh, you know, stories about, um, trying to think of a good example, somebody we covered recently, um, you know, and, and, an overtly non-Christian artist. Let's just say there. Like personally, one of my white whales would be Marilyn Manson. So let's just use him. Mm. I would love to talk to Brian Warner about his life and his approach to music and his approach to um, why he did things he did. So I would run that in a heartbeat on HM, in a heartbeat. And if we posted that on Facebook, the number of the the amount of vitriol we would get about um, not being Christian and being ignorant and dumb and like, who are you? This, these people, the, the people who run this are sellouts. They, you know, they're not, they're non-believers. You know, I never experienced anything like that until, um, until I started to do that sort of thing. And that is like such a, like tip of the iceberg doesn't even do it justice. It's like scratching the surface through what other people have to experience, but mm. to, to actually see it and have you be a part of that. I was like, oh my God, like, people really are assholes, you know, like, you just kind of like, oh, my God, like, they really are this way. And as, as take, to answer your question, Mason, like taking over HM and starting to run something like that, like, I didn't know that people were like, truly like that, you know, I've mm -hmm. experienced hate, I was an athlete, right. So people hated me because of the way I played on a soccer field, you know, or I was, you know, I mean, we're talking like, like a super, you know, thin skinned versions of hate, you know, I'm not talking about like, the the Jews and the Palestine, the Palestinians, you know, I'm, I'm you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be as explicit about the fact that, that that is not the level I'm talking about, right. like, I understand that true hate in this world exists. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and so I never really kind of experienced that. And I thought that was one of the more interesting things about, um, about uh starting to take this approach to hm that um you know D doug got all this you know if you were to interview doug which i think would be a, a fun interview for you all it, it doug got all this stuff too you know and probably way harder than i ever did you know i i, I think to do something back then in 1985 is way more ballsy than to do anything mm -hmm. that we're doing but you know you just don't i i just i never experienced that before so i think that's kind of like a, a scratching the surface of the answer to your question mm -hmm. and but what yeah, so based uh, otherwise lived a pretty charmed life yeah so based on like the hate that you've like experienced through that uh what have you learned about yourself then i've learned i'm stronger than i thought i was mm. um you know i i i think when people I, I i learned that when people come at me i have whether right or wrong i have a very natural competitive inclination to bury them, you know, like <laughs> that my, like my, like, like this I just internet be, troll like, must well, go down. Yeah. Like I, I, I would much rather have that person instead of type that call me 
And I would like to ask you a lot of questions about why you feel that way. And my gut tells me is you don't want to answer those questions or you don't want to think about those questions. Um, but, you know, humans are so different. So like, what have I learned personally? I've learned that I need, and by the way, uh, God bless my wife, but like, that's also something I've learned in marriage. Like when you have differences, like, you know, and you get into an argument, like, is not okay to try to, is not okay to try to bury your wife. <laughs> like, approach that with love. And that Cullen's is like going, Colin's been married for six years and is just learning this. So thanks for, yeah. oh my God. Thanks for I the marriage like, counseling uh, advice for him. It's very hard to do. And, and so the way that you approach uh, your wife is similar to the way that you should approach uh, other human beings. You know, it's like, well, should we have sex with, with love, all of them? Like, I was going to say, have sex with them right away. Yeah. <laughs> As much and as often as you can, and it's okay. So I, I think um, learning that about myself, that like I can feel that, um, that fire just like rise up from within my heart to try to bury somebody is something mm -hmm. that I've had to try to. But I think that's just the, I mean, I was born a competitive person and I like to win and I like yep. to, um, you know, I, I, I think but, there's, there's part of fun in that in life. So I've learned sounds to like that would be pull good back for on that. For running the actual magazine, though, right? I mean, being competitive is is what you want to be. Uh, well, you're talking about business, yes. Yeah, yeah. Being if you're, competitive if you're talking about in the business, business realm, like you absolutely have to be competitive if you're not. Actually, you're not I okay. I, I want to take this moment because you guys know this. Anybody that emails me and says, "Hey, I'm interested in writing for you," uh, knows this. But nobody gets paid at HM, so I, that's not like a public thing. So I don't pay myself. They're, the writers don't get paid. Literally everybody that does it, does it for the love of the game. So thankfully we are unburdened by the, by an approach from business or an approach from money. In fact, we even get asked like, Hey, can we do an ad on your site? And most of the time I'm like, no, because then I am in debt literally to a business provider that I don't want to have to be in debt to. Yeah. So um, it's just the way that I approach it. Now, right. thankfully, I have another full-time job. I love what I do in my day-to-day -day life. And that like being able to run HM alongside that has been a blessing and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, but like we are unburdened by the need to succeed from a business perspective. Right. So totally. but oh. yes, in, in my in my day to day nine to five life, yes, it's been it's been helpful. Yeah. Um, but you know, is also a little um you know, yeah, it, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say it applies to my approach to HM, sure. but yeah. Okay. So, so along those same lines, have you ever thought about like potentially going the PBS route and doing like donation buttons or anything like that? Oh yeah. You know, I actually, for, so I had never even considered that. Like it had, I had never put the two together, but it, it might've been you guys or somebody very similar, like maybe even Andrew. Uh, sorry, Andrew is a, a common friend of ours who had who had mentioned you should start a Patreon, you know, or yes. something mm -hmm. like that where people mm -hmm. can contribute. Uh, and when they mentioned that, the, my, the first thought I had was the exact same thing. Like, I don't want to be indebted to people or to things. You know, it's just not something I want to carry with in, with me in life. But there's also an element of it's really hard for me to accept love. So like, even though it's a business, um, it's like some if like somebody was like, I just want to give you this money. Like, I would be like, I can't take it, <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> they're trying to do a nice thing. I'm trying to do a nice thing. And you end up in this like, you know, uh, Wild West showdown of, of niceties. Of compassion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. So I, I've thought about it since then. But I mean, ultimately, it's just like what we're doing right now is um, is fulfilling. 
you know, and to have uh, people like yourself and Mason who run a podcast like this, who align well with HM, who may or may not be coming into partnership with HM, that do it for the love of the game, that, you know, uh, like our mutual friend who's a contributing writer, Andrew, like Danielle Martin and now Lewandowski, people who just give their time freely, like that is so fulfilling for me uh, just in life to be able to do something like that. And, you know, a lot of them, they're like, no, no, I really, I really love to write. And in my head, I think, well, writing is difficult. And their head, they're thinking, I love to do this, you know, so I don't want to project my own feelings onto what they do. And that in itself is fulfilling enough, you know, so um, if somebody would be like, here's $10,000. Okay, great. Send it over. And then I'd ask, well, what do you want to, what do you want me to do with it would be my next question, <laughs> yeah. you know, because if you're giving the money, like we'll figure out some way to, to like um, fulfill whatever need that you, yeah, I, I don't know. So yeah, we, we've thought about it, but uh, it's not that, nothing that I've ever pursued seriously, but I, to be fair, I haven't thought about it for that long. Like literally in 2020 it is the first time that I've even thought about it. Right. So. You know, I'm curious, you keep talking about kind of the love of the game of this. And are you a big Pillar fan? Just <laughs> <laughs> Pillar's another one of those bands that you could have led this podcast sure. off with. That's true. Sure. We could have. Yeah. They're great. Uh, so, I, you know, you, you've been talking about kind of the love of the game. And I'm just really curious, what is it about this sort of Christian heavy music scene that makes so many people love it so much that they're willing to give a lot of their time and energy to even contribute to something like HM. Like, what is it about that scene that we all kind of grew up in and have loved for so many years that people are willing to do that kind of um, extracurricular thing in their lives because they love it that much? So not to get too existential on you, um, I think there's a couple of confounding things in that question. The first of which is um, one of the women that writes for us, Danielle, is an absolute sweetheart, but she did not listen to metal or she was she was not part of the scene. She loved to write mm. and she found her way to us. And for whatever reason, you know, was just committed and was teachable and loved writing so much. She just wanted to get better. And she opened her heart to the the world of metal music, you know, and now she listens to it, you know, which is cool. It's just like bizarre to me, but like, hey, that's awesome. Um, I don't think you need to listen to metal music to be a good journalist. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So um, there's love there. When we were growing up, when I was growing up, my family was very, very poor. And when you went to go see a show and you didn't have to pay to go in or you could just go stand in a parking lot and like three dudes had amps on the ground and there wasn't a sound system and you couldn't hear the vocalist because the PA was maxing out. It's like, that is, uh, you know, for, for not having money, that free approach, that, um, unencumbered approach to, uh, to that scene. Like, I think a lot of people had that in our industry. So there's another element of love deep inside of that that you're doing it not for the money but you're doing it for um it's strictly to, for the outcome of it you know and so i think the, the 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 question is somewhat conflated but the answer to the question to me is love 
And I say for the love of the game, but that game can be whatever it is. I mean, that's what that's pretty much all we're looking for in life is fulfillment, you know, and mm -hmm. what, what makes it worth getting out of bed in the morning. And I I strive every single day to when I wake up, I want to do something that is fun. I want to have a good time when I am conscious, you know, <laughs> and I think there are a lot of people who don't. And I don't want to live that life. It is not worth any amount of money. Some people do, and that's fine. But believe me, that is fine. Like on a smaller level, my wife is very fulfilled in life, but she does not enjoy an unstructured life like I do. You know, she likes <laughs> rules and regulations and checking boxes and finishing out her to-do list. You know, that to me, completely unfulfilling. That would be a horrible life to live, you know? So like, it's, it's not the same for every single person, but figuring out a way to be fulfilled in life is... Um, like is my aim. And I think when it comes to the scene, I think a lot of people experience fulfillment without money. And that led to, uh, it, it carried over to a more, uh, to adult life, you know? And I think somebody who it, you, it doesn't cost money to write, you know, it doesn't cost money to be, uh, to, to do interviews or to talk to people. Uh, so I think when you carry that with you into our scene or to, to that end, Mason, to answer your question, like, um, there, there is like a, there's like a shared aspect of that Venn diagram that mm. is just really positive for what HM is trying to do, um, you know, and, and it just helps that we're not trying to make, you know, a ton of money because um, we couldn't pay anyway, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. um, but yeah, so there, there was this guy, um, I think it was Danny Kahneman who won a uh, Nobel Prize in economics, and I think it was him, um, and I was... Uh, reading a book about him and he literally didn't do anything he didn't want to do in life. So he like, mm. I remember reading an, an anecdote about him, not um, he, his mail had stacked up for like months because he just didn't want to open the mail. Like it was that granular, you know, he's like, no, I just don't really want to open mail. So I'm just not going to open my mail. Like tax returns. It doesn't matter. He didn't care. He was just going to live his life and do anything he wanted to do. Sounds like and, a vegetarian. <laughs> Well, he, I don't I actually don't know his political affiliation. Um, super famous guy. If you, I mean, he's, he's done some incredible work in the field of social, uh, social psychology. And, sure. um, and I, I, I love that thought. Like I, okay, I'm, I'm not into this meeting. See you guys later. You know, like, cause I've sat in two hour meetings where like halfway through, I'm just like, you know, I just don't want to be here. And everybody's like, well, you have to do it. It's like, actually you don't. Like there's fallout from that. Sure. You know, there is an element of, uh, well, I am a man and I have to fulfill my duties as a man and I will drive the cow herd from the south to the north, come what may, whether I like it or not. That is my sworn duty, you know, and that's that's great for other people. But in my life, I mean, it's just not. My, I, I'm trying to have fun and I'm trying to do the things that I want to do uh, in life. So um, when it comes to HN, that's one of those things. That's awesome. Uh, before we jump into top five most influential albums for you, David, um, I'm curious, and I, I think it would be a good time now to talk a little bit about this partnership. So uh, about a month or so ago, uh, Andrew, who you've, David's mentioned a few times, reached out to me and said, hey, I know what you're doing with Black Sheep. I'm doing this thing with HM. I think you guys at the very least could have like some good relationship with one another. Uh, and so I was like, great, let's, you know, put me in touch with, with David. So Andrew put us in touch and kind of what emerged out of that was, hey, we should do this partnership where we basically, basically are kind of like 
this uh, official podcast for HM. Uh, so, David, do you want to talk a little bit about that partnership and what that will look like and what you're really excited about with the partnership? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you I think you're correct. I, I think that clearly you and I don't necessarily believe the same things, but that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's like, great. It's even better exactly. than that's the better. point. Exactly. And that's the reason that we line up so well. And uh, I used to do a podcast. It is incredibly difficult. And it is not like, hey, let's launch a podcast. Obviously, that's something that's successful these days. It is. Podcasts are great. I listen to them all the time, clearly. Um, and But it's not easy. And I told you guys this off air, but it's like running that thing, like it is not, I would, I would not feel okay being like, hey, would you two want to start a podcast? By the way, you have to do all the work and we'll just <laughs> post it on our site when it's done. You know, it's like, that's not going to fly. It is super hard. And you guys have done an incredible job. And uh, I, you know, after a- Andrew introduced us, I was like, look, if, if they want to do that, that's fine. <laughs> like I am, the, what I have to do is super easy, but they're the way that they approach conversations, the way that they approach life, like does line up with the way that we approach journalism and the way that we approach, um, uh, putting thought out into the world. So, uh, I, I am, I was all about it. And, uh, thankfully you guys were too. Um, but just to be as open as possible, you know, we're not paying you guys. You're not paying us for this. Uh, there is no real business sense here. Um, the, the best thing that I can do is give back to you guys for doing uh, whatever it is that you guys get out of this, yeah. uh, despite the <laughs> amount of effort you put in into it. Um, and uh, like I said, that's the fulfilling part for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to listening to you guys and hearing you talk more about theology and metal uh, with people that come on your podcast. For sure. And and I'll just speak on behalf of Cullen too, but I know that we're really excited about this uh, knowing, you know, we, you know, we're just this small little podunk podcast. Cullen and I literally do this sort of as uh, an excuse to hang out and as an excuse to talk to some of our heroes um, and to talk about music, which that's what Cullen and I would be doing anyway. So we might as well record it and share it with the world. Um, And so we're already going to be doing this. And what I'm really excited about specifically with the partnership is to with with what we've been doing with this podcast for the last few years now to be now a part of the history of HM, which has a very storied and wonderful history. I'm excited that we in some little small shape and form are able to be a part of that. Um, And so uh, I'm just really excited about what this can mean for for both of us. I'm excited that we're able to create this thing for you. Uh, and to talk to the same kind of people that you would want to to be featured in HM anyway. Uh, And I'm excited for Cullen and I to continue to be able to hang out and chat with amazing, wonderful people, and even people who are heroes. Yeah, um, like like I said earlier to Cullen, I do not not accept any commendation. I am nothing but a vessel. Um, But... It, it, it's, it, it is an honor to hear you say some of those things. And I know that Doug, when he listens to this, will be uh, very happy to hear that as well and to hear that his legacy will be carried on in a more modern way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, with that said, uh, let's talk a little bit about your top five most influential albums. You said you have a list made. So is I this a list, a list where it's like stuff. actually in order or is it just five albums? It is actually in order. Wonderful. No, it is actually in order. And I have a, I have a, I, I have it broken out by metal slash metalcore albums and then top albums over time. So I'm actually going to throw you a curve on. I'm going to do both. Right. Um, Wonderful. So the first thing I want to do, if we're talking top five, 
what I would call metalcore albums of all time. And I'm going to do them in reverse order. And I want to start with metalcore because they get peppered into my top five albums of all time. So okay. the top couple of those kind of make their way into my top five albums of all time. Um, but uh, so my number five, top five metalcore album of all time is very HM apropos. That's Norma Jean's Bless the Martyr and Kiss the Child. Of course. Which came out in 2004. Uh, 2002. At- 2002, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Uh, that was when I just went into college and um, I was learning about life away from home. Mm. And my home was very Christian fundamentalism. And I was like, they can do this, you know, and <laughs> Josh Goggin to this day is one of my heroes. And uh, one of my favorite concerts of all time was seeing Norma Jean with me without you in a small um, it's a place called New Brooklyn Tavern in Columbia, South Carolina, where it was as packed as you can possibly there's literally no room and see Aaron come on stage to do his part with Norma Jean during um the d- during the set was just you know mind blowing for me as a as a younger person so uh that's one of my favorite albums of all time uh number 4 is Poison the Wells the opposite of December mm-hmm. I don't know if you all are familiar with Poison the Well um they didn't really? release yeah. two- we, we, they released we the- got a bunch of uh, Poison in the Wells uh, uh as top 5 influential Oh yeah. That's been happening more and more often lately. So, well, maybe you're interviewing older and older people, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but that album to me, um, like uh, to mandate heaven is one of my favorite songs. Nerdy is one of the most beautiful songs of all time. Um, I I'm big time fan of that, that album. My number three is August Burns Red's messengers. Mm. And I have a bone to pick with everybody who thinks constellations is their best album, because that (laughs) seems to be, the most uh just like with norma jean like there is some revisionist history about those bands second albums or in abr's case their third uh being um they're like you know what do they call it their cornerstone record uh but their magna magna opus yes that exactly messengers set the bar regardless of faith for modern metalcore with Mm -hmm. with their breakdowns and the way that it was written and the way that they overlaid the way that matt griner worked on his drums on that album to carry and switch up the tide between the same guitar riff and the way that they they wrote their guitar riffs and the way that they wrote their overlays just set the bar and set the tone and is just you can hear that influence in basically everything to this day so um i think messenger... i, I kind of have a, a love hate with that album because it of exactly what you said it, it was it is the the album that all the imitators started to imitate right but like when you i it yes so if you go back and listen to it now you're kind of like yeah this is what that genre is and you're like yeah. no no no, that set that you yeah. know in genre. motion you know and i being older uh got to listen to it when it came out you know yeah. so it was like very different and new and you're like oh my god like this is this this bangs you know so uh, <laughs> uh, uh that's one of my favorites so my second favorite uh metalcore album of all time is um architects um mm. lost forever lost together um i'm i'm a nihilist at heart and there is nothing more nihilist than listening to architects and if there it, that that particular metalcore album is so fist in the air that uh it's like just listening to it uh stokes that fire that uh i spoke about earlier that competitive just like i I just need to run my head through a wall kind of 
feel. Um, and sometimes it feels really good to feel that way. So uh, Architects is my number two. And my number one metalcore album of all time is a band called Oceans 8 Alaska. And the album mm. is called Lost yes. Isles. And it is, uh, like, I just got chills thinking about the way that that album was written. And nothing will ever be written like that ever again. Their, their singer left. And so most people know them from Hikari. But Lost Isles, like, it is like, I've often said classical music and metal music are very, very, very similar. Like you can write some ridiculous metal if you just transcribed <laughs> the classical music into some guitars and some drums and put in some breakdowns behind it. Uh, Ocean's 8 Alaska is like classical music and classical jazz became uh, a medical record that forever leaves you guessing where it's going to go next. And uh, at, at points, the roller coaster is like just you. It, it's like you just got hit with 20 different punches, left, right, up, down, uppercuts, crossbody. Like you just have no clue what happened to you. And then it's just so beautiful in its lingering presence in between some of the tracks. Like it's just so well written top to bottom. Um, that That's my favorite metalcore album of all time. I'm glad you said that. I have not heard Ocean's 8 Alaska in a long time. Uh, and no one has said it on the podcast. I don't think. Yes. It, so. Lost Isles. Um, yeah. it's, it's a great album. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. And I, I think it's, I mean, I, I've listened to it a ton, obviously. Otherwise it wouldn't be my number one. So those are my top five metalcore albums. Uh, do you want me to go? Oh, your more and, conventional list. Yeah. Let's yeah. See. Okay. So this so one's more like historical seven. order. What's that? You said, so uh, David, you mentioned that this one's more like in a historical order or something, right? No, no. Oh, this okay. Is, Never mind. This is going to be in uh, reverse chronological. Not. I'm sorry. This is going to be in reverse seven. I'm going to give you seven. Okay. Yes, and they're still my most influential. Yeah. Perfect. So, okay. So, uh, because two of them uh, come over from metalcore, I'm going to give you seven. So, since I already talked to them. So, uh, number seven is a plea for purging's depravity, which came out in 2009. So I'm actually, it just so happens I'm wearing a shirt from them. <laughs> um, but they also did some incredible guitar work on that yes. album. And I was uh, very, it, it was, yes, amazing guitar work on that album. It was very influential to me uh, when I was learning how to play guitar and uh, starting to uh, kind of expand into some more heavier stuff. Uh, and some of their breakdowns really just hit hard. And No one uh, grooves like Plea. They, uh, that's a great way of putting it. They definitely groove. and. Yeah. Uh, I love the way that that album grooves. So that was number seven. Um, number six is Kanye West's The College Dropout. Mm, uh, that's his first huge, one, right? Huge... Yes, that was his first one. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of Kanye West. Um, I I love the way that he approaches life. Like a lot of people say, I want to do something that nobody's ever done before and then put out, uh, you know, some fashion or some shoe that looks exactly like everything else you've ever seen with a little bit of something different, you know, no, he actually is putting out stuff that people like that is so ugly, you know, but then five years later, people are copying it, you know, and I, yeah, yes. So I I've always loved that about him. And he's, he's been unabashedly himself politics aside, like he, he doesn't know how to be somebody else. And I've always appreciated that, whether you agree with him or not. Um, And that album for me, uh, when that also came out when I was in college. So here, like, cause I think a lot of people think would say graduation is his magnum opus. I think the college dropout is just so much better. It's raw. 
you can hear like a lot of the times he's you you can hear him setting the approach for his music for 10 15 years down the road where you know he's rapping through a wire shut jaw onto his iphone and doesn't use any other audio than the audio that he actually recorded through his iphone you know he's not about the most perfect or the most pristine or the most mixed or the most engineered he's about passion and emotion and feeling uh and i love that about him um so that would be uh my number six number five is architects number four is oceans eight alaska so that gets us into our top three my number three favorite album of all time is rage against the machines self-titled album uh, to me, the way that Zach De La Roca approached writing music was um, like he never wavered. It was amazing to listen to as somebody who was like 11 or 12 years old at the time. And um, there was there's probably no band that's more prescient than Rage Against the Machine is uh, 20 years later than uh, than what they wrote about back then. So um, Rage Against the Machine's album was just a also, the way that they combined um, innovative approaches to guitar work with Tom Morello and the way that um, they wrote um, pretty incredible lyricism on top of that was uh, still pretty new in the early to mid-90s. Um, so uh, my number two uh, top favorite album of all time is Refuse, The Shape of Punk to Come. Mm, nice. Um, I feel like I'm at a loss for words for how I, I think that I think you're seeing the theme here like refused is like almost like rage against the machine from Europe you know <laughs> I, I growing up in Christian fundamentalism I always felt like religion got tied into politics which I've always kind of hated and um, the way that refused uh, was so uh, you know socialist or anti-capitalist you know it, it always resonated with me not that I don't think that there are virtues to capitalism, but I love that I was listening to something that fans were out there writing something that was completely different and challenged the way that I approached um, the, the life that I was living in at the time. Uh, not to mention that the, the music, the musicianship is just great. The songwriting is great. Um, it's just like straight up punk a lot of times. And um, th that definitely stokes the same fire that uh, I found with a lot of these top five favorite albums. So, all right. So we're here for number one, right? Let's hear now, it. this choice is truly because the lyricism was some of the most beautiful and poetic writing that resonated with me personally, where I was in my life, uh, from a melody perspective from the way that the vocalist um, approached life and some of the stories about how he, uh, how he lived his life and what he did. Um, so my number one album of all time is Third Eye Blind, self-titled Third Eye Blind. So That's the second time that that album's been mentioned, by the way. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, God of Wine is so... I mean, it's, it is hard to put into words the way that Steven Jenkins wrote albums. Like I wish that I could take the first two tracks off blue and just say that as my top album. Um, <laughs> Motorcycle Drive-By is probably my favorite song of all time. Uh, literally just straight up song. Uh, it's so poignant. And the way that like everybody thinks about Semi-Charmed Life as right. this like pop song. And he's gone on record saying like, 
Yeah, I fooled every single one of you. I wrote a song about being addicted to heroin and all of you guys were just doot, doot, dooting along the way, you know? And that's like, <laughs> it's like so great to me. Um, the, the first track, Losing a Whole Year, he actually did that. He was kind of an asshole. He just like moved in with his friend and lived on the couch and like whether he wanted him gone or not, you know? Um, and kind of wrote an album uh, that kicked off an album about that. Like, it's just, it the, the subversion in it is so great that, like, that to me is what resonates. You know, that's, that's where I was like, damn, this is like, this is like such a well-written, well-thought-out, more than just music. This is who I am, and I'm going to write that into, um, you know, write that into my life. I just, that album to me is just, you know, tops. Um, so that's my favorite album of all time. That's awesome. Um, Come at me. Thoughts, Colin. Uh, so, so that that's your list. Great list, by the way. Great lists. Actually, I have two of them. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug here at the end, uh, other than other than HM Magazine or anything like that? Is there anything? Yeah, actually, um, I I don't have anything to plug. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that's why I say I'm a little disjointed from the internet, um, because, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I thought Mason's insight was very helpful to, uh, I, I just, I don't, be, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I when you, t somebody said the word echo chamber earlier, and that's like as close as it gets to an echo chamber. And, um, so I just, there's not a whole lot to plug there. I mean, uh, the only thing I care about is whomever is listening to this, that you're happy. So my plug would be try to chase what makes you happy. Um, and uh, figure out a way to exist in a life that can sometimes be very difficult. Uh, so other than like, I don't have any Twitter or anything like that, but when I was 16 years old, I did win a nationwide cooking competition for cherry cobbler. So uh, there's that. Yeah, That's you can awesome. go back. Yeah, you can go back and look that up. Cool. Damn. Do you know what year it was? I want to I want to I want to see if I can get a picture of it. Yeah, that was sometime in 97 or 98, uh, right after, yeah, I, I actually think it was right after Rage Against the Machines record came out, and it really inspired me to go into the cooking business. Um, it didn't pan out. I wasn't as good as I thought I would be five or six years later, uh, but I burned brightly, and I burned strong. Uh, so. Reminds me of that, uh, that like, made-for-Disney movie about that kid that was, like, in between having to play baseball and his dad really being competitive about that, but he was also like amazing at cooking and like went to like the Bobby Filet uh, cooking competition or whatever, and he had to like choose between baseball or a cooking competition. So you were Mason, probably you're never going to believe this. You're never going to believe this. But I was actually consulted on that 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 script. Damn. Yeah, yeah. They found out that it was about you, wasn't it? Because I wouldn't say directly about me. I mean, yeah. you could say some would say it's inspired by the events of. Um, but so you know, I've never written a memoir about that experience, so they couldn't like actually draw from some of my writing on it. Right. But yeah, you get at least some royalties for that. For you, right? Right. I mean, they switched it a little bit up. They didn't want to make it like so obvious that it was my life. Plus, you know, yeah. baseball is Americans' pastime. They wanted to make it more for an American yeah. audience. It was yeah, like sense. makes sense. I just did a little bit instead of instead of cherry cobbler. See, you get it. I just did a little bit of consulting. They took the themes of the uh, of my life and put them into the movie. So. Should at least get some royalties for that, don't you think? Uh, you no, know, I'm not here for the money. I don't need royalties. I just want the people that enjoy that movie to enjoy that movie continually. And if I can be any bright spot in their otherwise uh, somewhat dull day, then that would be just an honor for me. 
A man of integrity you are, David. A man of integrity. Well, thanks you, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us. Again, uh, Cullen and I can't thank you enough for, for this partnership. We're really excited for what this can mean, certainly for us and our podcast, but also for what this can mean for HM. So I, you know, I'm really excited about this partnership. It's been great chatting with you, and uh, hopefully we can have you on sometime again. Yeah, I've had a blast, and I look forward to hearing more from you guys in the future. Well, that's been another episode of the Black Sheep Podcast, and it's for those who wonder. 